Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode 216 of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. We are in the book of Romans, and we are beginning in Romans chapter 10 today. And so I'd like to read the first four verses of Romans chapter 10, and then we're going to discuss these and see what we might glean from these first four verses. Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I want to let's look at these four verses today and see what truth they hold. And first of all, let's do a brief review of Romans, the great treatise on the gospel. We've seen Paul establish justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ and in his finished work, and only in that in chapters 1 through 5, where he also establishes that this is available to everyone because every single person has sinned and comes short of the glory of God and stands guilty before a holy God until and unless they will repent of their sins, believe in Jesus, because true believing in Jesus includes repentance. It's a change of mind, a change of direction. You're not going into sin anymore. You're turning from that and coming to Jesus and entering a brand new relationship with him. And then chapter six through eight, give us more details about what that relationship is and how it affects us in practical daily living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we saw that as we entered chapter 9, we are in the middle in chapter 10 of this section of Romans, where in chapters 9 through 11, he's going to really discuss the church and Israel, God's viewpoint of Israel, what's happening with Israel. Is God done with the Jewish people? And so Paul's going to answer those questions and reveal that to us. And we've already seen in chapter 9 where it really focused on Israel's past, the, the things that were in the Old Testament or in the Tanakh, the things about Israel in the past and how God dealt with them in the past. And so now we're going to take that a little bit further. And Paul is going to talk with us in chapter 10 of Romans about Israel's present. In other words, what's what they're like and where they stand before God in the time that Paul is writing this. What's their present condition at this time when Paul is writing these words? Now we have to remember who Paul is because Paul was well-versed in Judaism he is well able to write about Israel and the law. He was very skilled in that, trained under Gamaliel, who was one of the top ones in that day. He was a 
Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. He said, concerning the law, I was blameless. In other words, I was so zealous. I was keeping it. I was striving to keep it in every point so hard. And so Paul had a zeal for God as a Pharisee, as a leader in Israel. He knew that he was among many other Jewish leaders that had a zeal for God. So he commends them even right here. He says, I know you've got zeal for God. The problem is the same as what Paul found in Acts chapter 9 and beyond. And that is that they were stuck in dead, dry religion, in the letter of the law that had no spirit or life to it, and that they were stuck in the traditions of men. You see, in Judaism, they have the written law, which was the, the same as what we have in our Old Testament, and it was the Torah, Moses' five books of the Bible, and so forth. They have the written word, but they also have added to that what Jesus called traditions of men or the oral law and other things that they've piled on and piled on. And that's what Jesus was speaking about when he spoke to many of the Pharisees at times and the scribes and other Jewish leaders is because he said, you're, you're putting all these heavy burdens on the people that you yourselves won't even bear or can't bear. In other words, how do you expect them to keep all of these different things? And so Jesus came against them because of them being stuck in religion and traditions of men and refusing to see what was right in front of them, all the fulfillment of everything the Tanakh had prophesied about in the Messiah was standing in their face in front of them, and yet they would not believe. So we have to remember who Paul is. Paul was skilled in this. He can address this with authority and with authenticity. And so he starts out right now, and he says, I'm concerned, I'm burdened for my brethren. I'm burdened for the Jewish people. I'm burdened for those under the law. I'm burdened for my people. I want to see them saved. Beloved friend, I want to ask you today, do you carry that same burden for the Jewish people that Paul had? You may be Jewish by blood. You may not be. I don't know. But all of us should have that same heart and burden and desire. And I believe that Paul's example here, this verse, verse 1, gives us one of the ways that we can pray for the Jewish people. We're commanded in Scripture in Psalm 122, verse 5 and 6, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to pray for the Jewish people. And Paul here is telling us one of the ways, if not perhaps the best way we can pray for them, is to pray that they will be saved. Jesus spoke a parable on the prodigal son, well-known parable. Many people have preached on it. And in there, Jesus made it clear that the Father in heaven is longing for any and all prodigals to come home to him. That would include Jewish or Gentile. No matter who you are, God is wanting you to come to him. God is calling you home. And that applies to the Jewish people as well. 
And the great news today is that many Jewish, many Jewish people are coming to know Yeshua, the Messiah, the one who has come and fulfilled the Tanakh, prophetic words of the anointed one who would come, the son of the living God that was prophesied in their scriptures. So Paul recognizes their zeal for God, and this is even seen even in the Pharisees and their contesting Jesus many times. They did not have the clear understanding and they refused to believe in him, but their zeal was evident. That's part of what Paul is bringing out here. And that's part of what we see in the gospels. They were concerned about obedience to the law. They just didn't fully understand it. That's what he's saying here. They had a zeal, but not according to knowledge, not according to true understanding and revelation. They were concerned about obedience to the law based on what they knew the law to be, the strict rules and regulations, religion and traditions, traditions of men. But they were also concerned about blasphemy. They knew what the punishment for blasphemy was in the Old Testament. And so they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy. Now they were falsely accusing him. But even their accusations toward that simply show us that they did have a zeal for the law, but they did not have the understanding. They did not have the knowledge. They did not understand God's true heart from the Old Testament. So Paul points out their ignorance. It was not according to understanding and knowledge about the truth of the law. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And we're going to read that next. And this means that he came to fill it to the full. In other words, to bring it to its full understanding, to clarify it, to make it clear and evident, not just in the letter of it, but also in the intent, in the spirit of it. I want to read right now to you this passage in Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 17, it says this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now the jot and the tittle is simply the little tiny dots and accent marks, we might call them, that were a part of the written Hebraic language. Whoever therefore, continuing on in the reading in verse, eight, in verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, how does one's righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was based upon their 
dead, dry religion. They're being stuck in tradition and in religion and trying to keep it in their flesh. They were trying to keep 613 commandments, and they are trying to keep them every moment of every single day. It is not possible. And that's the point of the whole of the law, was to show them that. So Jesus clarifies the law. If you continue reading there in Matthew chapter 5, you will see he begins to speak about murder. He says, you've heard that it said from the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. But then he goes on and he talks about hating brothers. He talks about unforgiveness and resenting people, holding things against them. That that's what it is. That's the true intent. He speaks later about adultery. He says, you've heard that it's been said, you shall not commit the act of adultery is what he was getting at. But he said, but I'm saying to you, you don't even look at someone with a lust in your heart or in your thoughts toward them. Then he talks about marriage and faithfulness and God's original design. Let's look at a couple of other places. Let's look at Mark chapter 2 and let's begin reading in verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of the grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he, meaning Jesus, said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is establishing here. He's taking their traditional understanding of Sabbath and what you can and cannot do based on the letter of the law that that was all they could understand. And they had a zeal for that, but not according to understanding the heart of God. The heart of God was for people. People were more important when they were in need and hungry like he uses the example here about with David, that's more important to God than keeping some strict rule and thinking then that you're obeying God when you've totally missed the point. And so that's what Jesus is bringing to them now. He's trying to correct their understanding of the Sabbath and the fact that people are more valuable to God than us trying to keep someday and ignore people in need on that same day. Let's take that again and see another example of that very thing. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, 
And they, they, meaning the Pharisees and so forth, the people in the synagogue, asked Jesus, asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Because, see, healing would have been a work, and they were stuck in the fact that you could do no work on the Sabbath day. That's where they were stuck. They had a zeal, but it was not according to understanding. It was not according to knowledge. So continuing in the reading, verse 11, Then he, meaning Jesus, said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he, meaning Jesus, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. You see, Jesus is establishing here that people are more important to God and the heart of God, even through the Sabbath, is to bless. His intent for the Sabbath was that it would be a blessing. It would be a day of rest. This man that had the withered hand finally had rest from that disease, finally got healed finally received a blessing on the day of the Sabbath, which was God's original intent in the, in the first place. So do you see, this is what Jesus is doing. He's clarifying all of these things. And he is upsetting their apple cart. As a matter of fact, you read the next verse there, and it'll tell you that the Pharisees, they got so mad at him, they went out and plotted how they could start destroying him. I mean, they couldn't receive it. They refused to accept that their traditions were wrong and that they were stuck, not because they had a zeal for what was righteous, but because of how they were trying to attain it and what they believed it meant and refusing to see the depths of the spirit of the law because they were stuck in the letter of the law. So Jesus upsets their apple cart, and you'll see it all the way through the Gospels because they were stuck in religion and the traditions of men. And Jesus came to free people from that. So in verse 4 of chapter 10, Paul tells us here that Christ is the end of the law for all those who will believe in him. Now, what does that actually mean? The word end that's used there is telos, and it means the limit or the goal that was the definite point that had been set beforehand. In other words, the aim or the goal or the purpose, the end to which a thing is completed or finished, the definite point that was set out for and the conclusion. That's what he's saying here. It's, it's kind of like if you're into sports, perhaps. You know, you, you're into football, let's say. Football has a goal post. And the whole game is played 
so that you can get into this end zone where the goal post is for your team and make touchdowns. That's the whole purpose of it. So goal, the goal is Jesus Christ. That's what the whole law has been about from the beginning. The goal, notice this, for Jesus had been established way before the law was ever given. Let me give you a couple of scriptures that, that testify of that. First, Genesis 3.15. Mankind sin, sinned at that point when they were deceived and tempted by the serpent and they gave into it. And so God established then the beginning of the redemption plan that he had already laid out. He, Jesus, the Bible tells us Jesus had been foreordained to suffer and to die before the foundation of the world. So the cross was never an afterthought. We've established that even in some other episodes, but it started in motion there. And God himself, the Lord gave the first messianic prophecy in Genesis chapter 315. And he talked about the seed of the woman that would come and would crush the serpent's head. So that was established beforehand, pointing to the Messiah, pointing to Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Then in Genesis 22, it was established. The goal, the goal was established even there. And the gospel was preached to Abraham and it was actually shown and lived out in a portion as a type and a shadow of what God the Father was going to do when his own son walked up Mount Moriah carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And he himself would be the lamb for the burnt offering that Abraham spoke about. He himself became that ram caught in the thicket, that substitute. So these are two evidences before we ever even come to the law that we're pointing to Jesus, that we're showing that the goal was Jesus, was Messiah. So then the law is given and all through the Torah, you can find many evidences of this, more than what we could cover here in depth, but there are types and shadows all throughout the law, all of them pointing to Jesus. Take the feasts, for instance. Feast of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. All three of those point to and were fulfilled through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on its very day in that year. Then you have the Passover lamb pointing to Jesus. The blood has to be applied to, the, to each one's house, to each person. And it's that Passover lamb's blood that takes away and delivers us from the sin and the wages of sin that is that eternal second death. You even have the serpent on the pole. That was an example and a type and shadow of Jesus. And he himself referred to that in John chapter 3 when he was speaking directly with a Pharisee who should have understood these things. And he chides Nicodemus and he says, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Sounds exactly like what Paul was telling us here in Romans chapter 10. 
You got the zeal, but you don't have the understanding. So the law is given, and it points to Jesus as its fulfillment. And Jesus reveals that in his ministry because he shows us the nature and the heart of a loving God who would give the law. Now I want to stop here for just a minute. So many people today have this idea that there is a different God of the Jews than there is of the Christians, that there is a different God of the Old Testament than there is the New Testament. And therefore, the Old Testament God was mean and, and hateful and did all of these bad things. But the God of the New Testament is all loving and gracious and wonderful. No, that is heresy. Throw that out. Do not believe that. I implore you, reject that lie, because it's nothing but a lie. The Old Testament and the New Testament are connected. They are inseparable. They are both speaking of the God. Our God is the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul knew that, and he references that in many of his writings throughout and so does Peter, and so does John, and so do the other New Testament writers. Our God is the same God of the Old Testament as he is of the New. There is no change. He said in Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. So he is no different. He was the same God of love in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. He was the same holy God in, and he is the same, he is the same holy God in the New Testament as he was in the Old Testament. And we must understand that. And he was a loving God when he gave the Ten Commandments, when he gave the law, he was a loving God. He's a loving God because he's teaching them. This is how you treat one another in community and civil life. You don't steal from each other. Your neighbor has bought property. You don't go and take it. It's his. He's worked for it. It's his to, to keep. He's telling them, don't commit adultery. Why? Because adultery will kill you. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your home. It will bring nothing but sadness and ruin to your life. He's telling them, don't lie. Why? Because you can't, you can't be trusted. For one thing, you'll destroy your witness. You'll destroy your life. You'll destroy commitments and people ever believing you. He's teaching them good things. He's teaching them because he loves them and he wants them to be blessed. He wants them to have life. He says in the Old Testament, he says, I'm presenting to you life and death. You choose, but please choose life. That's the heart of God. So we do see the heart of a loving God in the Old Testament and in the giving of the law. Even the sacrificial system and the priesthood all also point to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only perfect lamb. He's the only perfect sacrifice for sin and trespass. All of those things all point to Jesus. The priesthood, he is the great high priest, according to Hebrews. And in my Hebrews study, beginning in the next lesson or so, we're going to deal with the priesthood and and the sacrifices and the sacrificial system, all of that is coming up in the Hebrew study as well. 
and it's called Bridge to Excellence if you want to look that up. And also I'll mention one other study that I've done that will help you, I believe, with understanding the Old Testament and the New Testament for today. And that is called The Cross is the Filter. I've done a study. It's a short study. I believe it's only two lessons, if I'm not mistaken. But in there, I cover these things in detail. And if you try to cut the Old Testament out, if you fall for that lie and you believe that, then you have nothing but shreds like confetti left in the New Testament because the New Testament and the Old Testament are very connected. You cannot separate them. You cannot separate them. So the purpose of the law was to prove to us our need for the Savior because we cannot, it is not possible in our flesh to be holy and righteous in all points. Cannot be done, period. We saw that already in the book of Romans by looking in Romans chapter 2, chapter 4, and some in chapter 9 as well. But I also today want to read you a few verses from Galatians chapter 3, because this also brings this out. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. In other words, we wouldn't have had to have Jesus come to save us if we could have done it through the law. Continuing on, verse 22, But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, or some versions say schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Here again, in the book of Galatians, Paul is clearly teaching us that Christ is the end. Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the whole goal and point and purpose and aim that it was all about to begin with. It was a schoolmaster, it was a tutor to teach us about Jesus and to show us Jesus. Hallelujah. That we might believe in him and be justified by faith. That was its purpose. And Jesus is the goal. Beloved friend, the Old Testament and the New are connected. They have one author and one, and the purpose is all about Jesus. Let me conclude by reading a few final verses to you, particularly speaking on these points. First is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. 2 Peter chapter 1. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture 
is of any private interpretation. I want to stop right there for just a moment. When, when the New Testament writers speak of Scripture, when Jesus spoke of Scripture, when Paul spoke of Scripture, when Peter spoke of Scripture, when John spoke of Scripture, all of the New Testament writers, the only Scripture they had was the Old Testament, the Hebrew Tanakh, period. That is what they were referring to. They were writing their own books, which later became and were, in fact, inspired by God and became the canon of Scripture, recognized as inspired by God. But they, the Scripture in the New Testament that it refers to is not that at that time. They had the Old Testament and they called it Scripture because it was inspired by God. These authors were also inspired by God and later formed the New Testament, which is the completion of the Holy Scriptures for us. And Peter is telling us here that Scripture, he says this, the prophecy found in the Old Testament, he says this, all of those words. Now remember, the prophets spoke all through the Old Testament. Moses was even considered a prophet. And David was a prophet in many of the Psalms that he wrote. So the prophecy of the Bible is the entire Old Testament, the prophecy of Scripture. And he says, verse 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved or inspired by the Holy Spirit. Then, that was Peter telling us that. Now we have a second witness. Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to begin reading in verse 14. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, the Tanakh, so that's what he was saying, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, when Paul wrote this, the scripture he was talking about was the Old Testament, the Tanakh. But God also inspired every author in the New Testament, and those are also now the entirety of the scripture. So when Paul writes this, even though when he wrote it, he was referring to the Old Testament for those who would see this and for young Timothy to understand. But now we have the entirety of the scripture, Genesis through Revelation, and every bit of it is the completion of the scripture and inspired by God himself. 
and every bit of it is profitable, just like Paul said here. Old Testament and New. It is one book with one author and one central figure, and that is Jesus Christ. I want to point out to you, and I want to read one final scripture to you, but I also want to reference to you two others. And both of them are found in, in Luke chapter 24. I want to read these in one other place as we draw to a close now. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27 says this. Actually, let me start in verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jump down also in that same chapter to verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then I lastly want you to look with me at one final passage, and it's found in John chapter 5. And I want to begin reading in verse 36. Jesus is speaking and he says, But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, meaning the scriptures that they are searching, these are they which testify of me. So Jesus is just expounding to them and telling them that the scriptures, the Old Testament, that they're searching all through, prove Jesus is the Messiah and that he and he alone is the goal that the whole of the Tanakh was all about. He is the end of the law for all who will believe because he was the original goal to begin with. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.